Tom Wallace, and I'm the managing partner here at Florida Funders. Welcome to our podcast series where we interview exciting angel investors and people that we all can learn from. And I'm very excited about our guest today, Scott Gorlack. I'll get to Scott in a minute. But before I do that, a little background on Florida Funders. Many of you know us, some of you don't, maybe possibly. So we like to say we're on a mission to change Florida from the sunshine state to the startup state. So we're constantly scouring the state of Florida looking for the very best and most exciting new companies and emerging technologies that we can, you know, once we find them, we can help fund them and then help build them. And hopefully they're the next unicorn. So we like to say we're on a mission to change Florida into a state as known for technology and innovation as we are today for tourism and oranges or strawberries, pick your fruit. So what we really believe in Florida funders is we have a tremendous opportunity in the state of Florida because uh, we're uniquely positioned in a couple of ways, one of which is we're the third largest state in terms of accredited investors, only behind California and New York. But unlike California, and to a certain extent, New York, most of our accredited investors did not make their wealth in technology. They made it at real estate or construction or you know restaurants or hospitality or, or healthcare, whatever. So they're not as prone to invest in early stage tech companies. So kind of one of our goals is to activate investors and to expose these accredited investors to the tremendous opportunity that, that angel investing presents when it's done properly. And that's really the purpose of this series. So we've been at this about three years. We've funded roughly 30 companies. We've invested $20 million in those 30 companies. Our average check size today is about a million dollars. So we keep moving up in that regard. Largest raise we've done is $4.2 million for an exciting company called Trash Butler. And we have roughly 1,300 investors on our platform. So that's a little bit about Florida Funders. At this point, I'm going to introduce Scott Gorlack. And Scott has been active with Florida Funders for some time. He's an investor, a partner. He's got a really interesting background. And Scott, thank you for joining us. And why don't you introduce yourself and tell us about your background? Tom, thanks so much for having me. It's a joy to be here um, and excited to chat with you guys. So I grew up in South Florida, outside Port Lauderdale in a town called Weston. Over the last you know, eight or so years, I've been involved in the technology field. I started off out of school working at Deloitte Consulting, and then within a year, had the opportunity to join the very early team at Uber, launching Uber in Atlanta, our 10th city, spent six years at Uber, and then moved back to the East Coast uh, last summer to spend more time on investing and advising great startups. So um, it's been an honor and a privilege to work with you guys so far in Florida. Our honor. We're so excited to have you involved in Florida Funders. So before we get to the angel investing side, six years at Uber. So when you started Uber, how many employees were there? So there were about 100 employees. And when you left, how many were there? So there were probably about 25,000 at the time. Uh, so during, <laughs> during my time at Uber, just to put it in perspective, we went from 10 cities to more than 500 cities in more than 70 countries. And we went from like 100 employees to more than 25,000. So it was a crazy wild ride. And, you know, it was the ride of my life so far. Wow. I can, I can only imagine. So I have to ask you with that incredible ride, uh, lessons learned. Which did you leave Uber with in terms of the lessons you learned about growing a, being part of a growing unicorn, one of the most famous unicorns on the planet today, I might add. Yeah. So in terms of things I learned at Uber, first off, the team is everything. When you're in a high growth startup, your team becomes your family and you're going to battle with them in the trenches every day to build the business and show the world 
that you know it can operate in a different way. So for Uber, we were trying to provide transportation reliables, running water everywhere for everyone. And having an incredibly passionate team dedicated to that mission was unbelievable in terms of moving mountains. Um, I think second, it's really important to have passion for what you're doing. And that's something I learned at Uber. If you have passion for what you're doing, it really doesn't feel like you're working. And for me, like I was lucky to have years at Uber where it just didn't feel like work. It was somewhere where I showed up and got to hang out with all my friends and work on something really important. I think other lessons that kind of stood out for my time at Uber is communication across the company is just so important, especially when you go from 100 people to more than 25,000. In the early days, sort of when we were just starting out, everything was super scrappy. We were constantly outgrowing sort of the processes we had built the week before. And by having good partnerships with ops and engineering and product and legal, we were able to build some amazing tools that made it easier to grow the business. You know, I think from a culture perspective, it's no secret that 2017 was incredibly rough for the company. Up until that point, Uber had just grown really quickly. But you know, the analogy I always use is we were an eight-year-old company in a 60-year-old company's body. We had really sort of optimized for growth and scale at the expense of our culture. Um, a lot of things were broken, and it was a really tough year. And while it was a really tough time for us, I've seen a lot of change at Uber over the last two years since Dara took the reins, and I'm so encouraged by the progress. I think that we've got ways to go, but the team is incredibly resilient. And I think Dara is doing a great job of taking Uber to the next level. And you know, I think the future for Uber is incredibly bright. That's exciting. A couple of things I heard you say, it's all about the team, having passion for what you do and communications. And I think that dovetails into angel investing. And we'll get to that in a second. I have to admit something. When I first heard of the idea for Uber and somebody told me, I'm going to be getting into strangers' cars to drive me to places, I was like, I don't think so. That makes That's the stupidest thing I ever heard. <laughs> so it shows well, what I know. Yeah. I mean, I think that there's this notion of like, you're looking in investing, the good ideas are ideas that sound like really bad ideas, right? <laughs> so getting into cars with strangers or Airbnb, you're staying at the home of a stranger. These yeah. were things that, you know, growing up, you were told never to do these things. And now yeah. they're fairly normal. So it's a concept of timing. It's a concept of society and where we are. And it's just a concept of being like, Hey, like maybe if we give this another look, maybe this bad idea is actually a really good idea. Yeah, exactly. And when you add technology in there and make make this really easy to use app, and you can watch the cars, and you know, it's it, I couldn't see it. I didn't see that one coming, but uh, no, it's it's incredible. One quick last question about Uber: Were you surprised Uber's IPO a lot better than WeWork's? Obviously, but the stock I think is down thirty percent off the IPO. Are you surprised by that? It's it's just become so ubiquitous. Everybody uses it almost everywhere in the world. And I'm just curious your thoughts on that. Yeah, look, I mean, I'm not a Wall Street guy. You know, I like the stock market. I think it's really interesting. And I think that Wall Street has chosen to sort of prioritize profitability over growth at this point for a lot of these unicorns that are coming out. And, you know, certainly if you look at the stock chart and where it's gone, this isn't certainly what Uber had planned for its IPO. That being said, I do think that sentiment is at or near a bottom in terms of Uber. And I think that, you know, over the next 12, 18, 24, 36 months, things are going to turn around and that'll be reflected in the share price. The reasons why include sort of this decreasing sort of margin pressure. I think that the world is getting more rational in terms of pricing and competition. And I think that over time, the margins and profitability in ride sharing are going to go up. 
Mm-hmm. And then I think that some of the bets that the company has taken in other spaces are really starting to take off. So you see Uber Eats is yeah. one of the largest sort of food delivery platforms in the US. You have Uber Freight that's looking to hook up sort of brokers with truck drivers and transport freight in a really efficient way. You've got autonomous cars, which I still think are like a ways out and we could have like a whole separate podcast. Yeah. On that. And then, you know, Uber recently announced a project called Uber Works, which is a staffing marketplace for sort of any type of work. So you could staff work at restaurants, bars, hotels, construction potentially. And I think that there's a lot of potential there. The bottom line when it comes to Uber is if you're bullish on the future of cities, you have to be bullish on Uber because it's the fabric that runs through it. I didn't know about Uber Works. That's very interesting. Okay, so moving on to angel investing, how did you first get started in angel investing? And what are some of the lessons you've learned as an angel investor? So in terms of how I got started angel investing, you know, after Uber, I wanted to take some time before I got ready for my next thing. And, you know, it was really interesting when I picked my head up for the first time in six years, I was like, wow, there's so much crazy stuff out here. And Ah. people working in all different verticals and all different industries. And like the opportunity to be an angel and work alongside founders that I thought were super interesting was incredibly exciting. So, you know, what drew me to the world of angel investing? I think it was a combination of things. I think first is I like solving really interesting problems. The world 15 years from now is going to look a lot different than it does today. And a lot of that progress is sort of going to be driven by hard charging entrepreneurs that create these companies that we can't even think of right now. And as an angel investor, I can invest in and advise the companies that I think are going after some of the biggest opportunities. Second, you know, I like helping people build companies. For me, like working side by side with people to scale their businesses and their dreams has always been fun for me. And I think a lot of the things that we learn scaling Uber are applicable to other companies starting out. And then third, which I think is probably the most important thing is working at Uber was an absolutely life-changing experience. And All it took for me was a few people to take a bet on me. And sort of that's what angel investing is. And there are a lot of amazing founders out there. And all it really takes is someone to believe in them. That's great. When you say Florida funders, what could be more fun than working with young, talented, smart, hardworking people who are trying to change the world? I I couldn't agree more. And helping them uh, realize their dreams. So you alluded to getting involved in the company you, you angel invest in. Tell us a little bit about that. Do you get involved all the time or sometimes just passive? And when you get involved, how do you like to get involved? Yeah, so it's a mixture of things. I love to be as involved as the founder wants me. I know that I am not running that business and the founder knows their business best, but I always make myself available. If there is a text, a phone call, an email, an introduction to a potential customer that I can make, I'm happy to do it. Or if the founder just needs to talk to somebody about something that they're going through, I want to be that first call and I want to be there for them because I know this stuff is really freaking hard. And being <laughs> really able to hard. be the person on the other end of the line is incredible. And you're with them through the ups and the downs. So, you know, I just got a, a text from a founder a few minutes before we jumped on. He was like, I just closed my next round. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And he's like, but I have to do all this legal stuff. So can we push our call tomorrow? I'm like, absolutely. Congratulations. Let's talk later. Um, So it's being able to help them, you know, when they're really high and then also when they're really low and help them see the forest from the trees a little bit. It's startups are a really hard, high stakes game, and we need to do everything that we can to support our founders. Well, that that is so true. One of our other investors, Zach Coolius, when I interviewed him, he said, being a founder of a startup is like getting punched in the face every day. (laughs) (laughs) Every time. And and you don't know when you go to the alley if you're going to get punched in the face or if somebody's going to give you like a cone of ice cream. 
it could yeah. be really, really great, or it could be really, really bad. You don't know which one it's going to be. Well, a lot of our partners here at Florida Funders, you, you know, most of us are ex-entrepreneurs. And so we've, we've kind of lived the, the, you know, fought the battles. Let's talk about as you get involved in, you find a deal, you get involved. Talk about valuations. What do you see out there right now in valuations? And I know you do some investing outside of Florida, too. So I'd be curious, any anecdote you have or insight into valuations, how they are different from Florida to New York to maybe California? That sort of thing. Yeah. So I think there is so much going on with valuations right now. If you're on the coasts, I think the valuations tend to be higher in New York and California, just as a general rule. But you know that doesn't necessarily mean that the best companies are being created there. The best companies, you will want to get in their seed round at any price, whether it's a five cap, an eight cap, or a 10 cap, or a 15 cap. If it goes to $15 billion, you're not going to be arguing that it was like, oh, crap, it was $10 million and I only got that multiple. So I think at the earliest stages, you don't have to be as sensitive on price. But I do see things getting frothy in certain deals where you know you see a company that has nothing and they're just raising like two on 20. And that's a wild round for nothing that's been built yet. And I think that there needs to be sort of a measuring stick stuck to that in a different way. So, you know, I think that generally in the earliest stages, valuations are, are okay to be a little bit flexible on price. But at the same time, you need to protect your ownership percentage from a fund perspective. One of the things that we, we see in Florida a lot, we do a lot of convertible notes, but there's, a, there's, there's typically a cap. Some of the stuff we've seen out in the Valley, they use safes a lot more. And sometimes there's not a cap. In, to me, that's very founder friendly, but as an investor, I'm not so sure I like that. But luckily, we Un- don't see that here. In Uncap, a lot. Uncapped safes are wild. And so, it may be a mark of where we are right now. Well, there's a lot of money out there, and you know, especially uh, in California and, and maybe Boston and New York. I don't know if you know the numbers on this, but roughly, I think it was 2018, 130 billion invested in venture capital in the United States. High water mark had to go all the way back to 99. That record stood since 99. of that venture capital was invested in San Francisco, Silicon Valley. That was 40% of it, roughly. And these numbers change a little bit year to year, but they're roughly the same. 10% in New York, 10% Boston. So 60% of all venture capital in the United States is invested in those four little micro markets. So that's something we're working on changing in Florida and something that at Florida Funders, we hope to help our companies, our portfolio companies, raise that next we get in early, help them raise that next, that Series A, 10, 20 million, their next round. So that's something we're focused on. Talk about uh, due diligence and, and, and founders. And what, what do you look for? What, why do you pass on this deal and invest in this deal? What's, help me with that, that process. Yeah, it depends on the stage. You know, If it's early stage, I'm really evaluating the talent of the founder and the size of the market and how big I think this could be if everything goes right. So you know, for early stage, I think it's about the founder and the opportunity. And to me, the best founders are those that have ideas all the time. They're going after a huge market. I think they're solving real problems as opposed to just having a big idea. You know, I think they have to be resilient. They can't be easily rattled. They have to be really focused. I think at the earliest stage, they have to be able to show a capacity to improve quickly. If you're looking at founders in the seed round and expecting them to be Mark Zuckerberg or Brian Chesky from Airbnb, they'll never invest in anything. So (laughs) if I see a founder that's sort of rapidly improving, that's sort of when I pay attention. At the earliest stage, you also need communication skills and evangelism. The best founders can communicate with their teams well. They can sell to customers. They can talk to investors. You're sort of like that jack of all trades. And then the last, you know, two things I look at are 
execution speed. Everything in a startup is hyperspeed. And if you're not moving fast and iterating and figuring out what's working and what's not working and experimenting, you're not going to build something that customers really want. And then the last thing, and this is controversial whether it matters or not, is founder market fit. Is this the right company for this founder to start? What gives them the unfair advantage in the space? So these are sort of areas that I look for when I'm investing and evaluating the founder at the earliest stage. As you get into later stage in the growth round, it's more about the business and the metrics and the margin. Yeah, what to track once they have some traction, you're looking more at those early customers, how far along the product is, and yeah. and then and then can they scale it, right? On on the founder side, do you have to like them? Do you care about that? I do. I want to work with founders that I'd have fun getting into trouble with. I can't remember who said <laughs> that. Uh, but I, I know I've heard it on like from a VC in Silicon Valley. And like for me, if I was starting the next Uber and working with that, I would want people that would want to go down into the trenches for me. We're at a time where money is really easy. So I think being a partner that can roll up your sleeves and get dirty and figure out like how to solve these really hard business problems is really engaging and, and important for an entrepreneur. And then I think, you know, lastly, it's just really fun. If you're going to be spending, you know, the next five, 10 years on and off with somebody working on their company and their vision, yeah. it's somebody that you want to have over for dinner, you want to have a relationship with them. And I think that's super important. No, that's good. So maybe give, can you give us some examples of you and I were talking before uh, we got online here and you were talking, we were both talking about an investment we missed, maybe some of your misses and maybe some of your favorite investments, preferably portfolio companies of Florida funders or one or two. It doesn't have to be a lot. Yeah. So I think with venture, it's definitely a long game and you never know who your winners are. You know, sometimes like two or three years in, you'll have a good indication of how things are doing, but Long term, you know, you hope that this proves out. I think from investments that I've made so far, I've been really lucky and have been lucky to join some of the rounds from Limebike or Lime now, which is in the scooter game. I'm in sort of a company called Standard Cognition, which is sort of Amazon Go competitor in sort of cashierless groceries. And I think that's a really long term bet. And I'm excited to see sort of how that's playing out so far. And then, you know, the company that I'm invested in with you guys so far is Pickup and have been really impressed with Brenda and the team and what they're doing. And Mrs. How about Mrs.? Yeah. So, you know, I think that those are definitely harder to judge. Definitely had some rounds where I've been, you know, like, man, I wish I got in there, but it's still too early to know what my big misses are. So a lot of changes in the world of tech, obviously, with artificial intelligence, blockchain, IoT, augmented reality, virtual reality, quantum computing, 3D, printing. I mean, there's just so much happening. When you look at those technologies or other emerging technologies, is there any particular area that you get really excited about and you're trying to focus on? So I like to stick to what I know in terms of investing and finding themes like AI, machine learning, quantum computing, super sexy, but it's not me. I actually like markets that are growing incredibly quickly with really antiquated legacy tech and spaces that I like right now and trends for the future are sort of aging in America. Over the next 10 years, there are going to be more people over the age of 65 than under 18. I think there's a big opportunity to build something huge there. I like direct-to-consumer brands like Allbirds, Roman. I think that Shopify has made it so incredibly easy to spin things up at low cost. And I've been incredibly encouraged by all the new companies and brands that are being built there. I like future of work. I think that the future of work remote is remote. I think it's project-based. I think careers are dead. 
And I think that there's an opportunity to build some really interesting labor marketplaces sort of across the board in different industries. And then lastly, the area that I'm spending a lot of time looking into is sort of automotive, um, the entire supply chain. So everything from consumers that are looking for to buy a car or auto repair service to dealers, mechanics, you know, auto repair shops, body shops, to the actual parts suppliers. I think that it's very legacy, it's very old and you know, pretty unsexy. And I think there's an opportunity to build something interesting there. So looking to talk to founders. Interesting. Are you a car guy? I, I'm not a car guy, so to speak, but I think being at Uber was definitely a mobility thing. Really interested in the future of transportation and mobility in cars. Scott, this has been great. I can't thank you enough. I know our audience is going to love all the stories and anecdotes and your, and wisdom that you've shared with us. So thank you for being on Florida Funders Investment Podcast. And I look forward to doing more investing with you. Awesome. Looking forward to it now. Okay. Thanks. Thanks.